Hello and welcome to the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is March the 28th, 2022. My name is Frank, his name is Alex, and joining us today is a avid supporter of the Friendship News Hour, a respected nurse at the Cleveland Clinic, and one of my favorite people on this entire earth, Hannah Duncan. Hello, hello. Hello. Thanks for the introduction. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being here. You are a mother and a nurse, which is a handful all in one, but you've made some time for us today. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate it. Um, I wish we could be speaking to you about some nice, cheery, and light stuff. But when you do a podcast about news, you tend to find out very quickly that it's all uh, pretty heavy (laughs) doom and gloom stuff. And today's episode is absolutely no exception. And we are bringing you on today to talk about Redonda Vaught. And the story about Redonda Vaught is that she made a error that resulted most likely in the death of a patient. And the story does not apex there, like not even close. So we're gonna dig into this a whole lot today. Do you want to introduce us to Redonda Vaught and the case? Why not? So Redonda Vaught, she worked at Vanderbilt for a couple of years, but this whole story kind of took, started taking place in 2017. Um, it was December 26th, the day after Christmas. There was a patient named Charlene Murphy. She was kind of on like a neuro step down floor. She was admitted for uh, some sort of brain bleed, but she was doing fine. She was actually getting ready to get discharged. So they were going to take her down to MRI to get a scan just to make sure everything looked okay. So she had to go down to MRI. Um, And this day, Redonda, she worked in the ICU, but she was doing kind of like a float position where she would kind of help out in different areas in the hospital if they needed it. Um, And in this day too, she also had an orientee with her. So she was called to go down to MRI with Charlene to get the scan. The patient, she was known to have claustrophobia. So the doctor wrote an order for some kind of sedative medication named Versed to give it to her to kind of calm her down if she needed it. So Redonda met the patient down there. They transported the patient down to MRI without any kind of monitoring, which I guess is a how their policy was that they were able to go without being on telemetry or any kind of cardiac or respiratory monitoring. She went down there and then Charlene, she was showing that she was kind of freaking out down there. So Redonda went over to the medication area. I'm not sure what kind of system they used, but to get a medication. During that time, the system was getting changed to a different electronical medical record. So they were going to this system called Epic and it wasn't working the way that they wanted to at this time. Um, there was no communication between the PIXA system, which is where you get your medication, and the charting system. So she typed in the first two letters, VE, for Versed. Nothing came up. So this time, as nurses, were able to hit override, and it gives us more of a generalized list of medications. So she typed in VE, again, for Versed. Unfortunately, she clicked Vacaronium. This medication is a paralytic medication. And when you click it, a bunch of pop-ups do warn you that, are you sure this is what you want? And Redonda, for some reason that day, just hit accept, hit accept and grab the medication. I went to the bedside to give the patient the medication. One thing to say, uh, I'm not taking this away at all from what she did. It's horrible, but it's a mistake that could be made very easily when you're rushing to a patient that's having anxiety you're pulled in four different like ways and it's not your patient really to begin with. You're just kind of helping out. She ended up drawing up the medication. 
giving the medication, not monitoring her, putting her in the MRI scan, and the patient ended up dying. Um, she ended up in that instance, she died the next day, but she was given the paralytic. So at that time, when you're given a paralytic, you can't breathe. You can't move. Uh, Charlene is completely awake during this period, but she's like basically trapped in her body. Oh my God. Yeah, that's really messed up. The one thing though that they did bring up in the case a lot was, first, that is a liquid. Macaronium is a powder, so you do have to dilute it. So you have to draw up saline, inject it into the vial, shake it up, draw it up. All over the bottle of macaronium does say it's a paralytic, but unfortunately, this was a mistake that was made. So up until now, I mean, everything seems to be pretty clear cut. There's a nurse who, you know, busy, whatever, decides to override a system, gives the, the patient the wrong medication. It ends up being tragically fatal. And more or less, that's pretty clear cut, right? She messed up. Mm -hmm. She was in the wrong. And this seems to be pretty clear cut. I think that where this story begins to get very interesting is after this event happens. Before we get there, though, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit and go back to when she was put in the MRI. So this patient asked, said that she was feeling anxious. Mm -hmm. If a patient says that, and request something, do you have, I mean, is there any ambiguity there? Do you have to give them something to, to ease their, their qualms? It just depends. So this was, I think that this patient, Charlene, she got versed a couple of times throughout her hospital stay and it was known that she had claustrophobia. So that was brought up beforehand. So she had an order, like a PRN as needed medication. And that was in the computer system already. Okay. And then you also mentioned that there wasn't any monitoring. Is that also pretty normal for this kind of thing? I can't speak to their policy. I know our policy where I work is they're on monitoring. Actually, if you're going to give them a sedative medication, because you have to make sure they're breathing and their heart rate, everything's stable. But I don't know what Vanderbilt had in place at that time. But according okay. to court record, they said that that was normal. Okay. And then this is kind of a loaded question, but how often, and I'm not talking about like tragic mistakes like this, but how often do mistakes like this happen in a hospital? Probably pretty frequently. And it stinks because like in her case, like there are systems set in place for you to report mistakes and they're supposed to be there to help like take a step back and like look at the whole situation and figure out, okay, this is what happened. How can we make it better moving forward? And in her case, when she made the mistake, which she said immediately that she did, it was more punitive and they swept it under the rug. So she, it sounds like, and I'm just trying to confirm, it sounds like she took all of the right steps after realizing that this mistake happened. She took all the right steps that were put in place from a procedural standpoint, right? Like she didn't, she didn't go out of bounds. She didn't try to cover anything up. She immediately reported it. And even in, in her initial interview after this happened, she even said, you know, I probably killed this patient. She even like, kind of admitted it as, as such, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is where the story takes a wild left turn. There was an investigation done by the Bureau of Investigation in Tennessee, and they determined that Vanderbilt took several actions that resulted in the medication error not being disclosed to the government or the public, according to county, state, and federal records related Ooh. to the death. Additionally, Vanderbilt did not report the error to state or federal regulators as required by law. The investigation reported the hospital told the local media examiner's office that Murphy died of, quote, natural causes, with no mention of Vecaronium, according to the death certificate, the lead uh, examiner, Dr. Fang Lee, had reported. Vanderbilt also fired Vaught and negotiated an out-of-court settlement with Murphy's family that barred them from publicly discussing the death. So, this patient dies. The nurse does everything she's supposed to do to report this correctly. Vanderbilt takes this information, 
and does not report it as the nurse had reported it. They twist it. They don't report it to state and local authorities. They say that she died of natural causes, which I don't know if there's any like medical terminology or anything that you could say about the way that she died or the way that she was treated by Redonda Vaught that would cause it to be natural. But to me, it seems like not very natural. And then they didn't even mention that this drug was in her system in the official death certificate, which then leads us to the state of Tennessee deciding to prosecute criminally Redonda Vaught for these actions. So she was tried and convicted of gross neglect of an impaired adult and negligent homicide. What the fuck? Yeah. So what is the medical community saying about these, this turn of events and the way that this is all shaken out? It's just scary. I mean, we just got through a global pandemic that people are worried about everything that happened during then. And now you're thinking that if you make a medical mistake, which you're supposed to be protected to by, by your hospital in a sense, um, and usually medical errors, they're handled by like professional licensing board and civil courts. But now there's that fear in the back of your head. Like, if I did something wrong, am I going to go to jail for it? Right. It kind of makes me think of like police. If they make one wrong mistake and pull a trigger in, in a bad situation and kill someone, they're then criminally liable now, which, you know, obviously makes a little bit more sense. But like now both professions, like it's got to like hurt people wanting to go into those professions if they know they can now be criminally prosecuted for you know, making a small error at, at a job. If I make an error at my sales job, I might piss off some people, but I'm not going to jail as a result and standing trial very publicly. Mm-hmm. To back up your your statement there, Hannah, the, the American Nurses Association had issued a statement after this conviction and they said, quote, the nursing profession is already extremely short-staffed, strained and facing immense pressure, an unfortunate multi-year trend that was further exasperated by the effects of the pandemic. This ruling will have a long-lasting negative effect on the profession. I have to agree with that statement because as negligent and as responsible as this nurse was for the death of this patient, she absolutely took all the right steps. And it seems, and this is just me opining here, but it seems as though the university didn't want this to come out. And so they tried to sweep it under the rug. It it took an anonymous tip through, and you could tell me what this is, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They're the ones that if you get like your money back to the hospital, that's how you get all your funding. And Okay. So it took an anonymous tip through that service and the Tennessee Department of Health for Vanderbilt to actually come to come to the light and, and tell the truth about what had happened. And then as soon as that happens, this nurse gets charged criminally. And it's just, mm-hmm. it just seems to me, and again, this is me opining, there's no real official, and it would seem to me that this nurse, Redonda Vaught, has become a scapegoat for the mistakes that the administration at Vanderbilt had made in misreporting the death of this patient. So to find somebody to pin the blame on, this nurse is charged, tried, and convicted of these crimes. Now, brings up the point that you made, Hannah, what incentive do you have as a nurse to report correctly errors and mistakes? Because now you have the fear of prosecution hanging over your head. Yep. And it's a thing like people are not going to report things now. And it's going to be scary because how do you know if an error is made? You know, I mean, no one goes, I'm not going to say no, but 99% of people go into their job and they're not trying to hurt somebody. They're not trying to give the wrong med. Like that's where I hate like this, like like neglect charge that she's given. Like she didn't go in there with the ill harm. Like, all right, I'm going to give this patient a paralytic and going to kill her today. Yeah. She immediately caught like her mistake afterwards. She felt bad. She did all the steps that she needed to do. The nursing board, they investigated, ended up taking her license 
And then they get sent her something in the mail saying, all right, the case is closed. And then can you imagine like a year later, all of a sudden getting like charge against you for reckless homicide after you think like, okay, everything is done and over with. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Question for you real quick. Was this the state of Tennessee against her or the hospital or? or... Oh, the state. Yeah. It was the DA, DA's office that went after her. Okay. And then from what I'm reading, like they're trying to like paint, like the prosecution basically was painting her as like incompetent, wasn't, you know, a, a very good nurse. You know, what he even said, he like likened it to driving with her eyes closed with how she was was acting. And, and I guess they referenced a separate proceeding uh, that happened before the Tennessee Board of Nursing last year. And at that proceeding, she testified that she allowed herself to become complacent and distracted while using the medication cabinet and did not double check which drug she had used. Like, is there any chance that like it could have all, like it's like there's dual blame here or do you think it's totally like Vanderbilt's just like, like Frank said, scapegoating her? I mean, it is. I mean, she completely took like like she admitted that she did wrong, you know, yeah. I mean, as nurses, you're pulled in so many directions and there's maybe alarm fatigue. You hear beeps going off nonstop. Right. You are just so used to going through the motions and doing what you need to do that sometimes like you're like, crap, you know, I mean, it is her fault. She should have double checked the medication. Mm -hmm. She should have realized that she was like not just drawing up a liquid. She had to mix it up. You have to read it. I mean, no one's taking it the fact that she really did make a mistake, but to be charged criminally is like something that opens up a whole nother can of worms. Right, 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 right. And if you follow the story, I think, you know, if, if you sit here and, and say that, that Vanderbilt was, you know, they were negligent in their own right by not reporting this correctly to begin with. And then only after they were caught about the way that they reported this death, that they made moves to investigate it and to take action. It might start to sound a little conspiratorial, but the one thing that got me, the one thing that made me say, okay, this is not a conspiracy. This is absolutely an attack on this nurse is the fact that the, the family of the victim was very clear that they did not want to press charges, that they did not want to ruin another life based off of this one mistake that this oh. nurse did show remorse that there mm -hmm. was absolutely, you know, that, that she absolutely was, you know, torn to pieces and she had suffered enough already and nobody else needed to suffer. No, another life did not have to be destroyed because of this death. And the state of Tennessee still decided to go after this nurse. To me, it seems so aggressive, like so aggressive. And I, I just can't find a rationale. I can't like, there's nothing in the facts of the story that, that make me say, yeah, you know, there is something here. There, to me, it very much seems like they needed to pin somebody up and say this was the person that was responsible, so much so that she's now criminally responsible. Yeah, and in the court hearing, too, like they didn't even interview Charlene Murphy's children because they settled it outside of court. Her children were allowed to talk in court. So they talked to the son's wife as the witness mm. because they weren't even able to be a part of like the conversation. Now, talk to me a little bit about a culture inside of a hospital. I know you don't work in Tennessee and you don't work at Vanderbilt, and I don't even know if you've ever been associated with them, but in your own experience, does this, does this mesh with how you experience the healthcare system in your own profession? Um, in what regards to like reporting things? Like the culture of administration not having the back of their nurses and doctors and healthcare workers. Yeah, we push for like a just, just culture, which you probably read all about with this case is you're not supposed to be scared to report things. And from what I have seen where I work, I don't think there should be a fear. I feel like our organization does a really good job at protecting their nursing and their staff. 
I still believe that all nurses should carry some kind of liability insurance to protect themselves just because this could turn around and happen to you. And then what happens again, if it's like Vandy, that they don't have your back and they promise Mm -hmm. that they do, you know, I mean, I've know or that there's been cases that are settled outside of court all like all the time at hospitals throughout the nation. Mm-hmm. And this is just, like I said, the first time that it's gone to criminal yeah, court. Because it's usually civil, right? It's usually mm-hmm. a civil lawsuit where you're, you're, you're yeah. just trying to recoup damages for a mistake that was made, honest or otherwise, right? Um, I was looking up a lot of cases before this, and I was actually trying to find one particular case of a, of a doctor in Rhode Island at the, at a, a, uh, Rhode Island, I forget, like one of the, uh, like a really prestigious hospital in Rhode Island. It was, it's like a, it's like a medical school for Brown university and other Ivy league schools. And within this hospital, there was, I, I'd read a case study a while back where the nurses had color codes for the doctors and the color codes kind of designated who the doctor was and what their personality was like. So for example, if he was like a code red doctor, that means he was an asshole and you couldn't tell him anything. If it was code blue, that means he was a little bit like easier to deal with. If it was code green, then this guy was cool, but also he was, you know, this, that, and the other. They had their own system within the organization of how they were going to determine what doctors did what. And so on one particular uh, day, some patient came in for what I I think was uh, a hematoma. Is that like a brain aneurysm kind of thing? Um, that's like a, like a blood, blood clot, clot type yes. of hematoma. Yes. yes. Okay. So they came in for this hematoma. They were going to do uh, surgery on it. The doctor, the surgeon came into the, the uh, operating room, prepped, did everything, began to do his work. And one of the nurses uh, spoke up and said, hey, I think this is wrong. And the doctor, you know, basically berated us. I, I'm a doctor for a reason. You're a nurse for a reason. Shut the fuck up you know, I'm going to do this, this, and the other. Well, it turns out he, he operated on the wrong side of the, of the, of the patient's brain and then had to, you know, go back, do the other, but there was irreversible damage. I looked to try to look this case up. And all I did was a simple Google search of wrong side brain operation. And there's a dozen different examples just in the last 15 years of that exact same thing happening. And I couldn't find one example of any of these doctors being criminally prosecuted, which to me seems like way more egregious of a thing to do than, mixing up medicine, not to take away from that error and the severity of it. But it just seems to me that like, if that's happening and doctors aren't being prosecuted and they're being protected, which I think they should be right. Like maybe you lose your license, maybe you're fined, maybe the hospital system's fine. I mean, there are ways to bring down punishment, but even if you've listened to the podcast, Dr. Death, you understand it took how many deaths before this guy was actually investigated, prosecuted and cried and, and, mm-hmm. and tried criminally for, yeah. for his things. And, and it just, it seems to me that this is just such a low bar that one, you're, you're, you're not only de-incentivizing telling the truth, but you're de-incentivizing an entire profession and, and a, you know, a generation of people who, if they were to hear this story, you know, may not decide to go to, to nursing school. They might choose a little different path. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I just, to me, it just seems so, just so detrimental. Yeah. No, I agree with everything you guys are saying for sure. But I guess just to kind of play devil's advocate within this conversation, the idea of a nurse, of a doctor, you, you take the Hippocratic Oath, you're there to, to help and, and do whatever you can to save and preserve life. And kind of to tie it to what I said earlier with police officers, like protect and serve, like that's the idea. Yeah. If like a police officer wrongly uses his firearm, wrongly discharges on someone and kills them, more and more these days, we're seeing police actually get held accountable for making an error, misusing their firearm and killing someone. So then if you parallel that to this other profession with people that have so much pressure and like have human lives in your hands every day to like misuse that and, you know, make such a, like, I mean, it's pretty egregious mistake as you're 
describing it to me. Like I could understand clicking on the wrong screen or whatever, but like having to go through the process of mixing up powder and doing all this other stuff, like it seems like there's a lot of red flags. Like shouldn't there be some level of accountability for people that have such responsibility for human lives in the same way that like a police officer would when they are able to carry a gun? Like, yeah, but that's also why it's called the practice of medicine. If you think about it, yeah, like you have to make mistakes to be able to make things get better in the future. Sure. And then also the hospital system you're working for, their systems should work the right way. So if that EHR was talking to the Pixis the right way, that should have been a way for the medication not to even populate to come up. And like the hospital was telling the nursing staff to override medications. Right. And the fact that she was in an area that she's really never been to before. And she had an Orient that day too. So she's trying to teach him. And this lady's having a panic attack in the same way. I mean, yeah, what she did was wrong. And I think you should be called like liable for your mistakes as a nurse. And that's why you really need to make sure those distractions are taken away. Like put aside, it could happen. So if you're, if you're operating like the Pixis, right. And you're in the MRI room and you are overriding for a drug. Is there, is there a stopgap in place where they're like, where they send you a message like this drug should probably never be administered in the procedure that you're doing. Are you sure? So I don't know why, honestly, they even had that medication down in their room. Yeah. To be a hundred percent honest. I don't know why there was a paralytic in there. Uh-huh. I don't get it. Um, but I mean, there was a pop-up that did say like, this is a paralytic like agent mm. and then she did override it. So that was there again, that was her mistake, but if the EHR was connected to it the right way, the medication would never be populated. It would have just had verse said when she typed in verse V E. Okay. Now, does this make you personally think twice before you do everything? Oh yeah. Just Friday. I had to override a paralytic agent for my patient that was not doing well. And after I did it, I mean, I was going to get an order afterwards, but after I overrode it, I'm like, crap, maybe I shouldn't do this. Uh And then puts that thing in your head as nurses now, are people not going to override medications in an emergency just because what happens if this turns around in two years and something bad happens? But then, of course, it's the double-edged sword. Will you get charged for not overriding a medication when you have a verbal order and you're withholding care when you could give it? just because you have to wait for the doctor to put the order in. You have to wait for pharmacy to verify it, which could take 10, 15, 20 minutes to get done. And then your patient then subsequently dies. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. Because what are you trying to incentivize when you're doing something like this? Are you trying to say there are swift consequences for your actions? Or are you trying to say, think twice or even three times before you do something? And then are you going to allow for the opportunity for a patient to have the same result because you blinked? Mm-hmm. Right. And I could see that going both ways, especially in an emergency. I've, I've never worked in a hospital, but I could only imagine if you have somebody who, you know, in your professional opinion or even better, the, the, the doctor's professional opinion that their timeline is very short and you're doing your thing and you have to make decisions like this and you're under the gun, you mm-hmm. should never be, a, you should never be scared that your life will be ruined by trying to save another. I mean, that, I don't know, to me, that just seems like common sense. I don't know if I'm missing something there, but it, it just seems like common sense that you should never be de-incentivized to do that. And I think you don't need to look like too far back into history to, to, to know, like there are grand scale examples of what happens when you de-incentivize telling the truth. Yeah. Because all you're trying to do then is make sure that the next person that hears what you're saying or what you're doing is is satisfied that you're telling the truth. But you're not. You're telling them what they want to hear. Yeah. It just basically goes back to 
if she's getting criminally charged with this, why aren't the doctors that signed the death certificate that said it was natural causes? Yeah. What about the administration that was there during that time that didn't report it when she reported it? Where's that like, risk manager that signed off that case and didn't escalate it forward? Where are they going to be held for li- like mm-hmm. accountable? And why is it only Redonda? Yep. Yeah, it's it's all very fishy. And I'm, I fear that we're never going to get the answers to these questions because they have their uh, whipping post. They, they have they have their scapegoat. And it, and it sucks because you don't need to be a brain surgeon to figure out that like if there are systematic things happening behind the scenes that are going to allow for Vanderbilt to, to start classifying these things the way that they have then that is obviously the bigger issue. Like plain and simple, there, there is nothing else that you can say about this that's like, you look at the facts and it's it's just so fishy on its face and nobody's given any explanations. There's so many unanswered questions. I don't know, all bad, in my opinion, all bad. Yeah, the DA actually just made like an announcement like a day or two ago saying that how this is not an attack on nursing as a profession because a lot of like nurse gangs are going up against these people, like starting to get upset about it. How could you say that? How could you, like you've given no credence to the the fact that this sets a precedent, that this is something that hasn't been done before and, you, and you're kind of blazing a new trail in, in it and in, in, in going after this person. You're not doing it at the behest of their family. You're doing it at the behest of Tennessee law. And there's there's really been no explanation as to why this is happening. It just seems to be happening. And I, I guess you could look at it from a 30,000 foot view and be like, yes, she was negligent. This person died. She needs to pay. But it just, you know, dig a little bit, you know, a little bit further, take like two layers apart and you, you start to see that this actually is really egregious, very aggressive. And, you know, I, oh my goodness. Are you getting Did shot you at, that? Frank? Yeah, what was that? What was I that? I have no idea. However loud that was on the mic, I guarantee you it was 10 times louder. Vanderbilt's on to you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Van Dino. Oh, my goodness. Well, Hannah, anything else you want to add to this? Uh, any other thoughts or perspectives from, from a nurse's eye? I don't know. I just, it's just been a rough, rough couple years for nursing. And it's just like you said, it's going to make people not want to go in the profession. And it sucks. Well, while we have you on here, could you tell us what the population could do if in when they are ever being taken care of by a nurse to make your life a little bit easier be patient like people okay hannah be, hannah be realistic okay <laughs> well, no for real like they have to realize like yes like us getting you a cup of water is very important for you like getting your pain medication is very important for you but we are pulled in 50 different directions our other patient could be actively trying to die and you don't understand that and you're hitting your call light nonstop, it's going to help make us not be able to go help the other patient. Like we hear you, we know that you're there, but just be patient and be nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Cause people aren't nice. <laughs> yeah. How many patients do you have at one time? Um, so where I work in the ICU, we can only, we are usually two patients to one nurse. There's times that we might need to take three patients due to staffing. And then depending on how sick the patient is, sometimes they have to be one-to-one. And then like kind of walk us through like a, a normal day for you, kind of just how this the last couple of years with COVID has been, you know, maybe some of the crazier stuff you've seen. It's been great yeah. the last two years <laughs> it's talking about. Well, um, my particular unit was actually one of the COVID units okay. for the last two years. Um, yeah. And I would have to say, though, that we're like back to normal functioning, which is good. Nice. Um, but we had the patients that were on ECMO, which is like the heart lung machine. Um, so patients that are so far gone, their lungs and sick that this is the last, last step for us to try to keep them alive. Mm, goodness. So 
Yeah. You would think though people would understand like how sick their loved one was, but they didn't understand. They, people still think it's a conspiracy. We would still get yelled at for not doing, giving them ivermectin and hmm. doing all oh, these wow. things that you hear these methods to fix them. But I mean, there were families that were super thankful and grateful for you. And they're still like our family, even a year, two years later, we stay in touch with them. Wow. The horror stories of the families that are really rude, those ones stick out though. You still remember them. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you hear you hear words like heroes thrown around a lot, and I, I I thank you for your reaction because it's like, sorry, I hate that. I I think it's a slap in the face. Well, I think it's just like this blanket statement that kind of almost dilutes what your experience is. You know, you chose this profession. I think you more or less understood that you were going to be in the care of people, but I don't think you can overstate enough just how ungrateful we are <laughs> for for the the medical profession because a lot of us just in interface like for me i interface with people all day but it's people that want to interface with me and we we're trying to do business together right so i'm not taking care of sick people there aren't emotions sky high there isn't you know it's not life or death but it literally is that for you so it, you know yeah. in short of calling you here thank you for for what you and your and and, and your compadres do because really and truly it's just it's a thankless, thankless job. And you could sit here and talk to us for hours, I'm sure, about the things that you go through, and we still would not have a quarter percent understanding of what it is that you guys. Yeah, until you like until you're there, you don't understand. You know? Yeah. I thought it was interesting that uh, study you brought up, I think it was last episode or two ago, Frank, where when the doctors left the hospitals, deaths actually went down, but when the nurses left, they they went up, they skyrocketed. I, mean, I can imagine that. Every time there's been a doctor strike, deaths in hospitals have went down. Either it stayed the same or went down across the board every single time. In some cases, deaths went down 50%. The, the reason that they came to, the conclusion that they came to was more or less elective surgeries and that if elective surgeries aren't being, aren't being done, then the risk of death from these elective surgeries obviously is zero. So you have way less deaths. Then they took a study and they said that when nurses go on strike, deaths across the board go up, which is amazing. I mean, we're their eyes and ears for 24 hours a day in the hospital. Yeah. Docs, they walk in, they're there for five minutes walk right back out they charge x amount of dollars for that little five minute little consultation but then they know they don't know they know the patients by the room number Mm -hmm. that's it working where you work in the hospital and dealing with like the covid cases you do when you see people that like like a Kyrie irving or just certain people that just think like you know it's my right it's my freedom to not get vaccinated does that kind of stuff bother you at all because you see it at its worst or do you still think like people should have the ability to choose for themselves and and what happens may happen no i don't forget i think everyone has the rights to just decide what they want to do with their body um at the end of the day i'm there to treat them when they come sure. in i'm not going to judge you who yeah. you are i mean does it upset me sometimes when they come in and they're like against like they're all over social media talking crap about all the, the medication they come they want to be treated mm-hmm. all of a sudden yeah. you know what they come to the understanding that you know what science at the end of the day mm-hmm. is what's going to help them so i mean i can't hold anybody sure to a different like level just because of their thought process do you see more patients these days especially that are unvaccinated as opposed to vaccinated about the same about the same okay interesting yeah i mean the ones that mostly i saw were always the unvaccinated once they got to us yeah um 
they were usually vaccinated, but they they had like a transplant. So they were immunocompromised Mm. or they had something else going against them. But I would have to say a good 98% of all the patients that we see see are unvaccinated. Wow. I think we even covered a story about that, about the Cleveland Clinic. They did a report about the number. This was, I think this was right when Delta was going, but like, yeah, it was the number of patients that were in the hospital for COVID that were unvaccinated. It was like a high nineties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wild. Yeah. It was bad around that time. Yeah. It was no bad. Doubt. But luckily the light hopefully is at the end of the tunnel, even though there's no variant coming out, but who knows? Do you think there'll ever be a time in the any kind of distant near future that you'll see hospitals without like forcing people to wear a mask inside, or you think that's here to stay? I think it's here to stay. Yeah. For the better, does that make sense? I like it personally. It hides your facial expressions when you're upset. Smile <laughs> with your eyes. But no, I mean, it's, I mean, hospital's a nasty place to be with in general. Like, yeah. if it's not the patient, you don't know what the family member in the room has. And I mean, we don't ask some questions when they come in, you know. True. So I think it just protects the caregivers. I mean, this is, I would have to say, the last like two and a half years, I have not been sick the amount of times I have in the past. Oh, wow. So I will always wear my mask in the hospital, even if I don't have to. N95s, I'm tired of those. My nose can't take it, but I understand we have to wear them. That's all you guys wear then, yeah? N95s? In the COVID rooms, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, hospitals are gross. I hate them. I hate being there. Every time I walk in, I'm just like, (laughs) you know, because you never know what the heck's floating around in there. No, you don't. And especially like my hospital, like it's very, very big. Like we have our own police force. We have our own zip code. Like that's how big my hospital is. So you don't know what, Who's who? Mm-hmm. Protect yourself. Shouts out to CC. Yeah. And congrats. That's a very prestigious place to work. Well done. Thank you. I love it. I love it there. While we have you, we could talk about a couple other things if you want to. What's up? You're not also a Steelers fan like your husband, are you? I am a Hannah fantasy football fan. <laughs> so I enjoy all aspects of football, but being in Cleveland, obviously the Browns are kind of breaks your heart a bit. Yeah, right, right. Well, you guys just got a really good quarterback. But I'm a I'm a fantasy football fan. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. It was just announced today that my Lions will be the selected team for this year's Hard Knocks on HBO. Exciting. Frank was making fun of me already for it, but... I hear Baker might be going to Detroit. They're talking about it, man. That would be good for the HBO show. Add to the drama. Yeah. <laughs> good for you guys. He's going to be feeling dangerous up in Detroit. I asked <laughs> I asked your husband about this, but what do, you, what do you think of the Guardians? How do you feel about the name? It's just a name. That's what I tell myself, but I'll, will I call them the Guardians? It's probably going to take me a long time. Are they just Cleveland, the Cleveland baseball team? No, they're they're my windy. I'll call them the Windians still. The Windians. There you go. Ah, there you go. Even when they lose to the Padres, Ugh. like yesterday. Okay, but the Padres, where have they gone? Nowhere. We don't need. Yeah, nowhere. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> no. We're just America's farm team at the with us, so don't worry. Yeah. Well, at least you have the ability to have your heart broken in football. I don't even have the ability to have my heart broken in football. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Well, you can. You can still follow them. I guess I could. How do you feel about Deshaun Watson? I mean, I don't know. I mean, as a woman, obviously, you don't want to take the allegations as it being a joke. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's whatever they say in court. It's like what we just talked about. You yeah. can't change what their ruling is. I mean, I think a lot of these football players and sports people in general are very slimy individuals, but they get away with what they do because of who they are. Shit. Well, well said. Put. Well put. <laughs> well, you think Will Smith's going to get away with what he did yesterday? I'm all for it. Chris Danita, <laughs> he needs a smack. <laughs> I, that's kind of rude to make fun of someone for, you know, what is it, alopecia? Is that what, what she yeah. has? And yeah, that's not his rude. first time making, like, jokes at her. Like, I think another Oscars, he made, like, a jab at her, too. Uh, yeah, and I was almost wondering, like, if maybe, you know, before the show or something, he asked if he could, you know, say a joke, and they said no, but he said, fuck you, I'm going to do it still, and 
that attitude. I, I don't know, but it's like, good for you, Will. <laughs> he was good form. I don't think he like meant to like be mean in that sense. I think he thought he was like just making a joke. Yeah. But I don't think he realized like, oh, maybe she's dealing with something. I probably shouldn't have made a dull joke to her. Yeah. We thought like at first, we're like, is this like scripted at all? And they muted it, but then you could go on like Tiki Talk and then you saw it all on there. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's True. assault though, technically. Like he could get in some trouble. He's, I guess Chris said that he wasn't going to press charges. Oh, really? Okay. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Hmm. He should. <laughs> he should. He should hold legal uh, legal proceedings over his head for like the next five years. I got it. He probably would get like, I don't know, blacklisted, I think, from all of that if he did. Illuminati talks. <laughs> gotta be quiet. You got to be careful. <laughs> Although, what has Chris Rock really done the last 10 years even, man? I forgot about Chris Rock. Right, they could get his name back out there. Yeah, right, yeah. He just got bitch slapped in front of the whole world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You guys hear about Taylor Hawkins, man? Yeah, R.I.P. Wild, man. Pretty sad, man. It was drugs, wasn't it? Didn't they say like 10 different substances in him? All of them. He was halfway to God already. Was it like suicide or was it like he just having a good time? No, he he's had history. What I read is that he was had a history of uh, heroin addiction, but he had like been clean for like 10 years. But then what off, and I mean, you'd probably know about this too. Like what often happens with addicts is like when they go back to doing those drugs, they think they can still take their old dosage or something similar and then yeah. they take it. And then I also heard the elevation could have played into it because where they were at in Columbia was up in the mountains. And I guess that could have contributed, but he actually called the ambulance. Uh, they just, by the time they got there, he was non-responsive. So mm. very sad, man. That's the second bandmate of Dave Grohl to die tragically, which is very upsetting. I saw the video of his last performance in Brazil and, um, man, there was just so much elation and joy and happiness. It was yeah. wild. Mm-hmm. He seemed to be happy. I don't know. I guess, uh, you never really know. So, you know, true, but just feel bad. Cause he's got three kids, man. That's, that's rough. Yeah, it's tough. That is tough. Um, Hannah, can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day to talk with us. Thank you for thinking of me. No, absolutely. About time you have a woman on here. Yeah. Not all these men and my husband. You ain't lying. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get your tally up there. So I don't think thank I you. don't think yeah. Brian can be on. You missed Alex. He tried to give me tips before I came on. Oh really? He was like, I he's like, you know, I've been on there three times already. Okay. <laughs> oh, he was trying to mansplain it to you. Uh, yeah. Oh no. Typical. No, no, no. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> Typical man. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> I think what we should do is one of these days let my wife Sarah, let Jacqueline come on and have you come on and we'll just do a, a woman cast. It can be your guys' section of the Friendship News Hour. I think that'd be awesome. When your ratings go up, mm. you'll realize <laughs> the gem. Mm. You're quiet over there, Frank. What's up? Yeah, no. I'll, I'll ponder it. I'll get back to it. We'll circle back. Okay, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, thanks again. Um, we appreciate it. And absolutely anytime, if you want to talk about the healthcare industry or literally anything else, we'd love to have you back on. Yeah, well, I think I have some positive stories. About, like, yes, healthy. gosh. Thank you. We should. <laughs> I'll, I'll be like the positive, like positivity. Positive portion. Hannah. Make my little snip for like two minutes, then you could go on to something else. There we go. Love <laughs> it. But yeah, thanks a ton for coming on, Hannah. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. You guys have a great rest of your Monday. Adios. <laughs> Bye, guys. Well, I can say one thing I definitely remember from my time in the hospital when young Walter was born was the coffee there. And it was actually fucking terrible. It was disgusting. It was like a Folgers machine and it was the worst coffee ever. You know, any nurse probably has to drink that coffee every day. And drinking that good smooth cup of coffee is a treat all by itself when it's not hospital coffee. But 
When it helps American heroes, it's that much better. Our sponsor, Gun Barrel Coffee, they're proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across our country. They offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get in whole bean, ground, or single-surf pods. I was at my mom's house this weekend. She had the single-surf pods. We cleaned her out, so Gun Barrel will be looking for another order from her. It's coming. Uh, right now, as a friend of our ship, mom, my aunt Barb, anyone, you can use the promo code FNH10. You'll save 10% at checkout when you buy their products at gunbarrelcoffee.com. That is promo code FNH10. Gun Barrel Coffee, damn good coffee, damn good cause. Make sure you hop on our socials, hit the link in our bio, check out our store, our shop for our merch. Uh, we just added two new ones yesterday. We got some dad hats up on there. We got some Racerbacks, which was a new shirt that I just learned about for the feminine variety. I don't know. I mean, maybe some dudes will wear them. I don't know. I think they're more more aimed at the female uh, gender. So check those out. Um, we're going to have more and more coming. We actually have our, our logo is going to be coming white as well. So the darker shirts you will see uh, coming soon. We've had to go with more lighter shirts because of the logos we have. You guys don't care about that, but I'm just talking out loud and telling you these things. Frank, where can they find us uh, on the interwebs before uh, you decide to uh, check out any of our social media pages wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast on if you could drop us a review and some likes if you liked us we would appreciate it uh, it helps us out a lot um, and uh, just a good way to, to, to get back if you found any value in this or any other of our shows previously um, you can find us on Twitter at FriendshipNH. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram, same handle at Friendship News Hour. And you can send us an email, bummerdude.media at gmail.com, bummerdude.media at gmail.com. Thank you very much to Hannah. Um, and we will see you guys next time.